Ushers, you're all ready. We call these the candy guys. Come on down. Yeah, yeah, this is good. Again, we've got one more week of this to go. I want to nudge and prod and encourage you to be reading in the Gospel of John. Here's the question today. How many of you, and I'm not talking about a month, a year ago, this last week you read Gospel of John 5, 6, 7, and 8. And oh, by the way, I realize that's double. We've only been asking you to do two chapters, right? And now we ask you to do four. So double the reading should be double the reward, don't you think? So you get two rewards today. So go ahead, ushers, get going, raise your hand. I read, I get double reward, I get to eat in church, nah, 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 nah. Uh, So you go right ahead. Uh, If you get a color of something you don't like, share it with somebody next to you. It's always a good thing. So next week is the last Sunday in searching. What's the homework for next week? Are you ready? John chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. I want you to look at everything we've been reading and kind of put it all together. We'll, We'll end our series and, and you never know it could be triple the reward you know since we're uh, we're asking you to do triple the work so john chapters one through six next sunday i see you up there busy in the balcony this is good nice going balcony people well done. approach a sad and hopeless situation i don't know if you were here but uh dozens of sick paralyzed people blind Folks who, who just had no hope in their life, they hung out at the pool of Bethesda. And it's interesting, that's where Jesus went to. He was attracted to people hoping for a miracle, hoping for healing to come their way. I don't know if you recall, but Jesus approached a man who'd been unable to move. He was paralyzed, stuck to his mat, unable to move. He was paralyzed, stuck to his mat. His mat was his bed, was his house for 38 years. Think about it. 38 years, literally stuck there at the pool of Bethesda. And Jesus asked the man what at first seems like a strange question. Do you remember the question? Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Are you ready to do whatever it takes to get well? Because if you choose to get well, things are going to change drastically. If you get off your mat, you're going to have to start going back to temple and worshiping for yourself. You're going to have to learn a trade or get a job. You're going to have to plant a garden, reconnect with family, watch over a cow and some chickens. So it might be easier for you just to stay on your mat. Key first step to healing and victory is to decide whether you really want to get well. I want you to know the leaders of the church, myself, we've been praying for you folks. Lots of you said, I want to get well. And we prayed over you and prayed with you, anointed you with oil, uh, like James 5, chapter James chapter 5 says, and, and excited for the Lord to bring healing and victory in your life. Anyway, Jesus sees the man really does want to get well, so he commands him, get up and walk. And then in John chapters 5, verses 8 and 9, the man picks up his mat and does what? 
walk. Take your house, take your bed, uh, and walk. And the only thing that the Jewish leaders could see was what? Wow, this is amazing. A miracle has occurred. This man who we've known, he's been laying for decades, he's been laying around the pool of Bethesda. He's walking. A miracle has occurred. Everybody should be cheering. Instead, what's the only thing they see? How dare you carry your mat on the Sabbath? How on earth could you be carrying a mat? You know that's wrong. And if you just want to see how bad carrying a mat ticked off these religious leaders, slide down to verse 16. John chapter 5, here's what it says. Uh, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute Jesus. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I'm working too. Uh, Verse 18, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill Jesus. They wanted to kill him for telling the man to carry your mat on the Sabbath. All this, and uh, he was even calling himself God, making his own father equal with God. So, so they were starting to get it, and they said, we will kill you for telling a man to violate the Sabbath. We will kill you for claiming to be God the Father's son. So starting in verse 31, that's where we're going to be today, John chapter 5, Jesus presents evidence that he really is the Messiah. Jesus is going to present some witnesses who will present evidence that Jesus really is the second person of the Trinity, that Jesus really truly is God with skin on the one the Old Testament predicted would come. He's going to present evidence that he really is who all of the prophets said would come. I really am that Messiah, so he's going to bring evidence to let everybody know, yep, I I really am that person. Listen close. This is the key question regarding being a follower of Jesus. Who who is he? Who is he? And uh, I just want you to know, religions and cults, they all falter here. This is the key question for us to answer. Who is Jesus? And if you don't get this one right, the Lord's going to say on the day of judgment, I'm sorry, I never knew you. This is like the most important question for us to get right. Now, the first witness that Jesus calls to the stand is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, would you stand with me if you're able? Let's read out loud the evidence that John the Baptist shouted to the world. He was a shouter. So he declared and yelled loudly, this is who Jesus is. We'll start with verse 31. We'll read down through verse 35. Here we go. Let's read. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you choose for a time to enjoy his light. 
Let's pray together. Lord, uh, as we look at evidence today, I pray that it would penetrate our thinking. Lord, this is more than just evidence about some trial in some courtroom. This is the most important evidence in all of history to be examined. So would you help us to think clearly? Help us uh, to uh, hear you clearly. Nudge and prompt and encourage and convict and correct as you see fit. And Lord, if there's anybody here who's never accepted the evidence personally that you really are who your book says you are, Lord, would you go down deep? Would you soften hearts and open minds? Nothing good lasting happens without your spirit alive and working. So please come, meet us today in your church and all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one unified voice, you can be seated. John the Baptist said four specific things about Jesus. I want to just show you those things that he said. First thing that John said, Jesus is indeed the long-awaited, expected, predicted Messiah. He shouted that in the wilderness. He, he said, quoting Isaiah 40 in verse 3, make straight the way for the Lord. In other words, the way of eternal life is upon us. And he's shouting, Jesus is the way. He's the only path. He's the only road to eternal life, is what John is saying. Second thing that John the Baptist said about Jesus, he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I say this a lot. <laughs> What's Pastor Jeff's greatest problem? Come on, you can get with it, okay? What's, what's my greatest problem? Tell me, I'm a, you're a sinner, yeah. What's your greatest problem? Turn to somebody next to you, tell them what their greatest problem is, yep. Who by his shed blood takes away the sin of the entire world, John 1, verse 29. Third thing that John the Baptist declared was that Jesus is the one who gives and will baptize with the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus is the giver of eternal life, streams of living water that flows. Remember when he met with the woman at the well and he talks about all that he can give and she says, I want this water, I need this water. And he says it wells up to eternal life. When you come to know Jesus, he gives the gift of the Holy Spirit which brings life-giving eternal water the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Fourth thing that John's testimony gives is that Jesus is the word made flesh. In other words, this is God's chosen one. He is indeed the son of God. He is deity. And they got that and they didn't like it. We just saw when they understood who Jesus was, I, I am the, the son of the father. They got it. He's the father, you're the son. He's deity, you're claiming deity. Now they want to kill him. They understood exactly 
what was going on. So the first witness that Jesus calls to the stand, John the Baptist, with power and conviction. Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior. He's the Lamb of God who takes away sin, the only cure for sin. He's the one that gives the gift of the Holy Spirit that brings living water. Jesus is the Son of God, the Word made flesh, the second person of the Trinity. I don't know about you, I'd say that's a pretty good first witness, right? When when you can call John the Baptist and wow, that's powerful testimony that John the Baptist brings. Now he's not finished, slide down to verse 36. Now he brings uh, the second witness, the second bit of evidence, verse 36. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that the Father Father has given me to finish, the very works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing testify that the Father has sent me. Specifically, Jesus is presenting the evidence of his miracles here. He's presenting the evidence of the signs that he has performed before the Jews so they could know, oh yeah, this is the Messiah. In other words, there were lots of people who arose saying, I'm the Messiah, uh, but they couldn't perform the miracles the Old Testament prophesied. Now Jesus performs all of those miracles so that they could know this is indeed the Messiah. John presents seven of them, and uh, there they are, if you want to write them down. That's the seven sign miracles given so that the Jews would know, oh yeah, Jesus really is the Messiah. Just like Jeremiah, just like Isaiah predicted, this is exactly what the Messiah can and will do. Now, here's what John said about the purpose of the Gospel of John. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. We'll put that back up there in a minute. It says, uh, Jesus performed many other signs, many other sign miracles in the presence of his disciples, which are not included in the book. So in other words, John picked seven that represent what the Old Testament had said needed to happen. But many others were performed but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These are the ones that the Holy Spirit inspired John to write down, and these are the ones that we need to know about so that we can know he really is the Messiah. He really is the Son of God. We really can believe and have life in the name of Jesus. Healing a man paralyzed for 38 years. Think about it. 30, he'd been walking four decades, feeding 5,000 people with five muffins and two pieces of perch. Can you imagine two little pieces of perch and five little muffins? I think they were mini muffins. Uh, but 5,000 people giving sight to the eyes of a man. This isn't someone who lost their sight. He had never seen. He was born this way. And then he gives uh, 
the uh, miracle of Lazarus in the tomb four days. Four days. They, they thought, you know, sometimes people, we think they're dead, but they're really not. So once someone's in the grave and their body has started to decay, that's a pretty good sign. They're, they're dead, right? So that's why they say, don't, don't go in there, Jesus. He's been in there four days. The, the, the smell isn't good. And up from the grave, Lazarus arose. Just telling you, these were miracles that the Old Testament said only the Messiah, only the Savior could perform these. You know what the Jews should have done when they saw those miracles? They should have dropped to their knees and worshiped Jesus as Savior and Lord. They should have said, oh yeah, I get it. This is what we've been studying all these years. And they should have followed Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. One final piece of evidence, one final witness against the Jewish religious leaders. This is probably the most damning to them. This is the one probably that ticked them off the most. Jesus calls God the Father and the Word of God, the Old Testament, to testify about who he really is. Slide down to verse 37. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You've never, you've never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. <laughs> Me. Verse 39, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, Jesus said, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Here's the charge. Jesus is leveling against the religious leaders. He's saying, you are reading and studying the right book. You are reading Genesis to Malachi, that's the right book, but you're reading it in the wrong way. You're reading it in, in a wrong way. Here's what New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says, they knew everything about the Jewish hope for Messiah, and yet they missed the Messiah himself when he came in person. Isn't that sad? They, they knew everything about the Messiah and, and their hope, and they knew all the details, and yet when Jesus came, they didn't recognize him. Jesus tells them straight out, look again, verse 39, this is strong, and I want you to miss it. You are, you are analyzing and you're going every jot and tittle of the, you diligently study God's word because you think in them, by studying, you're gonna have eternal life. But I'm just telling you, these are the very scriptures that testify about Jesus, yet you refuse to come to Jesus to have light. These were great students. These were the, they were, master's level, they were doctorate level students, they knew God's word. Many of them, some suggest most of them had committed the entire Genesis to Malachi to memory. Can you imagine? Anybody, anybody here have Genesis to Malachi memorized? I just wanna see your hand. We wanna clap a little bit for you and stand amazed. That was the norm 
for these religious leaders. You go, wow, they had their noses in the Bible constantly. They were obsessed with the tiniest details in God's word. And yet, despite that vast knowledge of scripture, when Jesus arrived on the scene, they missed him. They they didn't have a clue who he was. Matter of fact, it was worse than that. They not only missed him, they rejected him. Do you understand? It's possible to have an amazing knowledge of God's word and miss the key subject, the one that the entire Bible is pointing to, which is Jesus Christ. Illustration. How many of you have been to the Sears Tower in Chicago at some point? Can I see your hands? It's called the Willis Tower, I know, but I still call it the Sears Tower. I'm sorry. Stubborn that way. Um, 110 stories tall, second highest building in the Western Hemisphere. Really amazing views, okay? You're looking down on the city of Chicago. Here's uh, some of those views here from the observation deck. Sun is setting in the west. Lights are coming on along Lake Michigan. You're just saying, wow, wow. Uh, Drinking in the view. When a man steps up beside you and he said, wow, what a wonderful window. Isn't this a great window? Do you see how that window is set in steel? Have you noticed how marvelously they've tinted this window? And he just keeps talking about the window. (laughs) Then he unfolds his pocket knife and he looks around and he scrapes a little bit of of the edge of the window. He says, I'm going to take a sample for chemical analysis. I want to find out exactly what this window is made of. And hey, buddy, if you'll give me your email address, when it comes back, I'll, I'll email you and let you know exactly what the composition of this window is. <laughs> and we would be thinking rightly right now, you are a strange man. <laughs> you are strange. Because he completely missed the whole purpose of the window. He missed the fact that the window was created to show the great beauty of the city of Chicago and all the surrounding scenery. Are you tracking? That's the purpose of the window, but this man only saw the frame. This man only saw the window. He wasn't looking out beyond the frame. He was caught up in the details of the window. Listen closely right now. The Bible is a wonderful window, but the purpose of God's word is to see the beautiful realities of Jesus Christ. And I'm just telling you, if we're not careful, we're going to be just like this guy. The Bible is not an end in itself. The Bible is the window that we look through to see the marvelous truths about Jesus and the cross and the shed blood and the empty tomb. That's the purpose of the window, so that we can see Jesus Christ. He's the focal point. He's the star of the show. He's what God's word is all about. And if you miss Jesus, you miss the main thing. And sadly, there's lots of folks still today 
They're all caught up in the window and, they, and they're focused on the tiniest little detail. And I'm not saying it's wrong to study, but the purpose of the hard study is to learn more about the purpose of the window, to learn more about Jesus. That's the reason we study God's word. We don't just study for study's sake. And I'm just telling you, there's folks today, they know lots of facts, lots of detail. Hero, the legend, the rock star of these Jewish leaders at this time was Moses. You need to understand, he was like, wow, if I could just be like Moses, he's the man. Slide down to verse 46, because here's what Jesus said about Moses. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Can you imagine? He's telling them this. You know, your rock star, the one you worship, the one you adore, the one you aspire to, if you really believed Moses, you would believe me. Because Moses was writing about me. Verse 47, but since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? You're all focused. I'm just telling you, they went into great detail. They would number every word of the Old Testament. And then they would, they would try to find the center number of every sentence and every paragraph. And they would start adding the numbers and seeing if there was meaning there. I'm telling you, down to the tiniest detail of what Moses wrote. And yet, when the Messiah that Moses was writing about came, not a clue. <laughs> Missed him. Rejected him. We don't like you. And Jesus says, but that's who Moses was writing about. You're not believing because you've actually not believed Moses. You were so caught up into studying the window, you missed me. You say Moses is the man but you're majoring on minors, and you've missed the major, major of the Bible. And what's the major, major of the Bible? Who is Jesus? And he is the king, and he is the second person of the Trinity, and he is the Messiah, and he is the Savior and the Christ. He's the one who brings the Holy Spirit and makes us belong to him, sealed by the power of the Spirit. We get the Spirit by believing and following and saying yes to Jesus. And so many of us, we're all caught up in the minors and we miss the major, major. So I need to ask a question. And I'm not talking about knowing about Jesus. I suspect everybody who comes to church on Sunday, you probably know a lot about Jesus. You know facts. Maybe you've been in church a long time and, and you know details and, and you know all the little, little parsing of this and that. But I just want you to know it's possible to miss the main thing. To know lots and lots about church and Bible and Old Testament and miss the main thing. Please understand, it's not that they weren't smart people. They were educated, they were smart people. They were educated, they were focused. I'm telling you, they were dedicated, so dedicated to the Bible that most of them memorized Genesis to Malachi. I'll say it again, that just amazes me. 
more dedicated than we are as a whole. But they missed Jesus when he came to earth and took on human flesh. (laughs) How tragic that probably the smartest, most dedicated, most knowledgeable people of God's word missed Jesus and then rejected Jesus. Wouldn't it be tragic if some of us here today were just like them? We know a lot. We know details. We know all of the little stories that you're supposed to know from God's word. But we've never invited the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ, the second person of the Trinity to come into our lives and take charge. We've never believed that he took my place on the cross. He shed his blood for my greatest problem. And you told me what my greatest problem is. And your greatest problem is the same. We're sinners. And he took my place and your place in the tomb. And early Sunday morning, he arose from the dead. Wouldn't it be tragic if we never believed those for me? Your mama cannot believe Jesus for you. I don't care how godly she is. Your daddy can't do it. Your children can't do it. You have to make that choice for you. Most important question in life to answer, who's Jesus? And what have you done with this Jesus? Bow your heads, shut your eyes. I'd invite you just to let that question roll around in your minds. Who is Jesus to you? Who is this Jesus? Would you take some inventory? And yeah, I know maybe you've been in church a long time, know lots of details and facts. But here's how important this is. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. He's talking to the church Examine yourself to see if you're really in the faith. Test yourself to see if Jesus is in you. Would you do a little testing right now? Lord, are you alive and working in me? And might I suggest, if you're not sure, if the God of the universe has taken up residence in your life, that's probably a bad sign. Jesus, are you alive? This is a test I can't afford to fail. Just want you to know the evidence is strong and clear and compelling. The evidence that Jesus presented and we just looked at, it's like case closed. He really is the second person of the Trinity. He really is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world, slam dunk. Have you believed that for yourself personally? Like I said, not holding on to mom's coattails or or dad's faith or grandma or son or daughter, you have to decide for yourself.
Do you believe this? I wonder if anybody would say, you know, it's time for me to get real clear on this. I've done a little examination this morning. I've invited the Lord to help me to test. I'm not sure there's much evidence that Jesus daily is alive in me. I don't want to miss the main thing in life. What's the main thing, the major, major? It's to know Jesus Christ personally. To say yes to him in the cross and the empty tomb and follow him strong every day with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. How tragic for you to be here today and miss the most important thing in life. Anybody say, you know what? I, uh, I need to get real clear on that point. Today, I'm gonna lift my hand and say, Pastor Jeff, would you pray for me right now? promise I won't embarrass you, but boy, I'd love to pray with you and for you, even right where you're seated. Anybody? That's me. That's me, yeah. Are there others? Jesus? <laughs> I don't want to miss out on this one. Yep, saw that hand as well. Is there anybody else? This is the most important point in life. Who is Jesus and what have I done with him? Yes. Are there others? Anybody else? Here's what you need to know, okay? The gospel, that's what saves our historical facts. That's what makes Christianity different. It's, it's built on historical, verifiable facts. Facts that we believe personally and the person of those facts that we receive by faith as Savior and Lord. I know I do this a lot, but it's intentional. I'd like all of us to declare the facts. So those of you who raised your hand, th this might be your first declaration or it might be your 15th, but we're gonna get clear on that. And those of you, yeah, I know that I know and there's evidence, that's great. You're gonna be worshiping the Lord saying, thank you for the facts and I'm rehearsing them so I can share them this next week as you bring me opportunities. Okay, here we go. Repeat after me, Jesus, I believe you are the sinless lamb of God and therefore your sacrifice on the cross qualifies to take care of my great sin problem. Jesus, I believe you shed your blood to wash and to cleanse my sin problem. And Jesus, I believe that you took my place in the grave and Jesus, I believe that early on Sunday morning, you didn't stay dead. With confidence, because Jesus, I believe, early on Sunday morning, you arose from the dead. You defeated sin, and you defeated Satan, and you defeated death for me. Strongly now, Jesus, I receive you as Savior and Lord. You be my king. You be my savior, my boss. I choose to follow you, Jesus, all the days of my life, all my heart, soul, mind, strength. That's good stuff, I'm telling you. Personally, 
make that choice. Personally believe by faith. Receive. Thanks, Lord, for the witnesses and the evidence of your word. We rejoice in those who got clear on that today. I pray, Lord, that today they might share what they did with someone around them. Confess with their mouth. I wasn't sure, Andy. We do. Living hope. Let's sing about Jesus, our living hope. Stand if you're able.